Yes, Gardening Talk back with David Peterson. My name's Phil Bates. I'm here with you till four o'clock. David's here till half past one. He's the man you want to talk to if you've got any gardening problems at all. The number to ring 49216216. Good afternoon, David. Hello, Phil, and good afternoon, everyone. And Phil, yes? it's official, I think. What? It's spring. It's spring, you yes. think? Yes. Oh. What makes you think this, David? Well, I just, I just think because of how busy we are at the moment. Oh, right. Um, it, it, it's just spring. <laughs> I mean, everyone's wanting to plant and everyone's wanting to feed things, which is a really great sign that it is spring. So. Oh, that's what we like to see. I know. If, uh, if having people out in the garden and doing stuff, planting things, means it's spring, then yeah, yes. let's call it yes. spring. I know I'm getting itchy feet because I um, I haven't done a lot of... I mean, look, my garden looks nice, but it, uh, I haven't done a lot of spring work yet. And normally right. by this time I have, mm-hmm. but I haven't. But I thought, no, I'm just going to do a little bit at each time. And um, But I've got itchy feet about feeding everything this week when I'm off. You, so. you want to get stuck in. Yeah. yeah. Well, being, being a native garden, mine's pretty much all underway and, mm. and in fact I always think my garden peaks around about you know maybe uh, mid mid September. You should have a lot of things in flower oh, already. Grevilleas, tryptamines, yes. corazimas. Oh, oh it should be lovely. Well. It's it's gorgeous and um, um, yeah I'm really looking forward to to the next few months. Mm. Yeah, should be good. Um, the number to, again four nine two one six two one six. David here till half past one. Bit of a break for the news at one o'clock, but we're back after that. Um, I, I spent a few days in our nation's freezing capital oh, yes. <laughs> during the week, and my goodness, it's cold down. We there. step back into winter when we go somewhere. Yes, like that. That, that's right. Uh, but driving down uh, just the wattle by the side oh, of the yeah. road along the highway, some places it's just like you're driving along a road, and there's a wall of green and. Mm. Gold either side. If uh, if you're heading down around the Southern Tablelands at all, um, just a great time to do it. On, even on the highway, it's great. You know, that's something we don't grow a lot of these days, do we? In a normal suburban garden, no. wattles. Yeah. I think probably because it, they're a short-lived thing yes. that people don't yeah. worry too much mm. about them. It's a shame because you can get some really, really nice wattles, and particularly the new dwarfer type wattles. Now you're just seeing a few here, yeah. there, and everywhere. Yeah. So. I've actually got a really nice ground cover wattle mm. that I, I plant. Planted last year that I'm hoping will flower this year. I've got my eye on it. Mm. Mm. It, it, <laughs> it knows what, what's expected from it. <laughs> okay. Well, David, um, two things. First of all, gardening walkback. Yes. Everyone who rings up today and would like to be part of gardening walkback, all you need to do is give your details to Diane on the phone. When you ring up with your question and Diane will put you in the drawer. And that means, of course, that at the end of this month or beginning of next month, we do it on the first week we of do. the next yes, month, don't we? Yes. Um, we'll choose somebody from this month and David will come around to your place and give you some personal advice. Well, gardening advice. <laughs> Not so much personal <laughs> advice. Right there and then on the spot. And uh, we can do a lot here on the phone, but having David come around to your oh, place and actually so look at what you've got. And this time of the year, it's really exciting because things... I mean, look, I know, I know our gardens still look a little bit wintry-fied, yep. but you've always got that sort of... I don't know. It just feels different this time of I, the year. Sometimes I get the feeling that it, it's holding its breath, yeah. ready to just go, <laughs> and that's what we're looking for. Uh, the second thing, of course, David, is everyone who rings up and is part of today's program, um, you choose somebody at random at the end of the program to uh, be the recipient okay. of these wonderful things you're giving away. 
Um, and I'll, well, I'll let you talk right. about it. Okay. Yep, off you go. Look, I know I've had them in before, but it, it, it's really a good season for them at the moment. And I'm speaking about lavenders because there are oh, so yeah. many lavenders that are available this time of the year. Uh, such an enormous collection of them in many shapes, difference and sizes. Even the foliage is different on a lot of them these days as well. But I, I have one in here today, which is just called Winter Glow, I think it is. Uh, and it flowers basically, uh, winter purple, I should say. It flowers right. basically in the winter months. It really is quite a deep purple. It's one of the newer varieties, which means it's a lot more compact than the older varieties, so it holds its shape a little bit better. But it has got lots of flowers on it. And this is one of the lavenders that has those little wings on the oh, top of the flowers. I just about to say, it's got a little top knot yes. that's already out. Oh, yeah. that's, a, that's a good saying for it, Phil. Never thought of that. I just call them wings. But right. Top knots are good. Feel so. free to use it, David. Yeah, it's yours. thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Phil. Okay. Uh, so that's the <laughs> plan I'm giving away today, the winter purple, as well as I'm giving away a box of the Debco. This is the uh, plant food. This is the one that's a soluble one, which you dilute down and water on everything at this time of the year, as well as that product I've given away before, which is called EcoGuard. Now, this is the foliage spray. Now, this is the one that protects the plants and also gives the plants nutrients. It's called EcoGuard, and I have used this, and it does actually do that on particularly things that are looking a little bit tired, and particularly this time of the year. Just spray the EcoGuard on, and that puts a fertiliser through the foliage, first of all, and greens the foliage up, as well as has a, 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 a nutrient in it that actually prevents a lot of uh, pests and diseases. Oh, right. So it's a really, really good product for those things. So it's sort garden. of like a tonic sort yeah, of thing yeah, as well. Yeah, that's exactly oh, right. Oh, right. Good. So that, I'm also giving that away today, as well as a couple of sachets of saturated and a couple of sachets of harvest organics harvest which i'm giving away remembering that's at the end of the program i'll be doing yes that. so you do have to be listening at the end of the show we do get a little bit tricky <laughs> that way okay um i'll be ready to go david <coughs> i'm certainly ready phil yes okie doke well let's start off by saying hello to louise from cameron park hello louise oh hello david thank you for taking my call now, I've got two questions, but I'll just give you a quick rundown so you know what I'm mm -hmm. trying to do. I've just bought a house at Cameron Park. It Congratulations. Has got, thank you. It has not got one plant what? in front or back garden at all. My goodness. Now, um, what I want to do is on the sort of west side, there's about 20 foot by 40 to 50 feet. Now, it's just all weeds and clover. I wanted to kill that off put weed mat down and stones and pavers and a little gazebo and then just make it like a cottage garden all mm -hmm. planted everywhere. So question one is what can I um, kill off that weed so I can still plant plants in there? Okay, well the, the main product that you're using there is glyphosate or the old term for it can be zero or roundup so any of those that if you go into a garden centre any of those names glyphosate roundup or zero any of those will do that because the advantage with that is that you can actually use the soil this product doesn't go down into the soil it only affects whatever you spray it onto so the soil doesn't get damaged by the product Okay, so um, once I spray that on and it kills it, yes. um, I just like weed it all out Yes. and I'm going to get some garden soil, then put weed matting down and then put, like I said, the stones and the pavers, maybe a little gazebo, just make a real little quirky sort of yes. outdoor area. Okay, that's Sounds one. good. Thank you. <laughs> and question two, um, I've got, I brought with me a red hydrange. Mm -hmm. Now... What can I um, feed it with to keep it red? It's really red. Okay. All right. Well, the main thing to keep things red or pink in the hydrange family is lime, just ordinary garden lime. So once you... Are you popping it into the ground? Eventually, yes. yes. Well, certainly just a little bit of garden lime around it. That should retain that colour for you. 
Oh, good, because I've brought about 70 plants and cuttings with me. Okay. And I've got them lined up against the house. So. Ready to go in. Yes, I haven't. I'm starting to design the yard, but... Just well, at least you've got a blank canvas that you can actually design it yourself, which I, is a really good thing, isn't it? I know, it? it's a blank canvas, and yeah, I, yeah, I just um, <laughs> going to make each, thinking, making each part, like, have its own little theme. Oh, okay. Well, that's the plan anyway. I've only been here two weeks, but I'm thinking ahead. <laughs> yes, well, well done. Okay, well, thank you very much, and you have a nice day, and thank you for taking my call. It's my pleasure, Louise. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Oh, isn't that exciting isn't when, when, when you, you start a new garden like that or a complete new house garden? Mm. Um, uh, Louise has got uh, many, many happy um, I'm sure she would, and she sounds very enthusiastic she about it She certainly does. Well. That's great. To uh, Bulwara next, uh, David, and we say hello now to Lizzie. Hello, Lizzie. Hi, how are you going? Good. Good. Um, look, I just planted on the weekend um, a 150 little tube stop marais. <laughs> And I'm just wondering, what's the best kind of fertiliser to put on them? Okay. Well, all you basically need for that is just a good general organic fertiliser, and that probably consists of one of your pelleted manures. So if you just get hold of some of that, throw that around them. Now, also what I will mention to you as well, Lizzie, is that sometimes with marais they tend to go very yellow and horrible, and that yep. usually is because the soil is a little bit sour. So also with the marais, it's always a good idea just to um, sprinkle the ground with some garden lime, and that will sweeten the soil for them as well. So garden lime. Yes, in and a, just in a pelleted organic manure. Oh, okay then. So none of that kind of like those little round granule things? No, well, I, I tend to favour the pelleted manure because we sell a lot of organic life, which is a really good one because it's got the seaweed, fish emulsion and blood and bone in it. But yes. certainly, I mean, if you, if you can't get down this way, there's not a lot of places that do carry the organic life. But any pelleted manure is fine. Okay, then. And, and the sandy loam um, soil, mm -hmm. is that okay or not? It's fine, but, I mean, you probably would... It would pay you probably if you've already planted them just to put a little bit of compost around the top of them, and that way that'll work its way down into the soil as well and hopefully, hopefully retain a little bit of moisture around the marais. Lovely. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Okay, Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Lizzie. That's something we should talk about one day, David, is fertilisers. Well, we, we should talk about today if we've got a little <laughs> yes, bit of a... Okay. Just because spring and all that yep. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. 49216216 is the number. 23 minutes past 12 on Gardening Talkback on 2NURFM. Lines are free at the moment. If you've been trying to get through and haven't been able to, we've freed a few up. Um, next on the line, David, it's Anne from Lake Manmora. Hello, Anne. Yes, good afternoon. Uh, David, uh, my husband, who is not a gardener, uh, uh, decided he wanted passion fruit and I know you get a lot of questions yes. about passion fruit but anyway he planted three passion fruit on a trellis across the back fence mm -hmm. um, now the foliage looks like the thing that ate Chicago <laughs> but um, he, he's got this thing he read on the ticket that they benefit from water and regular feeding. Mm -hmm. So he gets out there religiously every Sunday and feeds this wretched, or With these what? wretched things. With what? Um, a, a flourish. A oh, yes, flourish, okay. Fruit and flower or right, okay. fruit and something. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, I said the other day to one of my sisters-in-law, look, I, I think he's feeding it too much. You know, we've got, like, greenery. We could cover two blocks with greenery. <laughs> but... Um, uh, but then he said he'd read somewhere they don't fruit in the first year. Mm -hmm. Well, they do, um, actually. They can do. I saw three flowers 
I think he's taken photos of those. Oh, very but good. But nothing's come of it. I gather but... he's not home at the moment, Anne. Oh, no, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's just tackle all those few things that you've mentioned to me. First of all, yes, passion fruit do like feeding and water, particularly during the summer months. I wouldn't necessarily say during the winter months, particularly with the water. They like to be kept moist but not too wet. Secondly, he is overfeeding with his liquid fertiliser because really you should only use liquid fertilisers once every two weeks at the very most. So once a week is a little bit overboard and that can of course cause problems eventually. Not only the problem that you're getting which has a lot, a lot of growth but also it can reverse the problem. It can also cause another problem and reverse the growth and make it go very very yellow so just he needs to hold back on the liquid fertilizer uh, just to go even if it's just once every two weeks that's probably the most that he should be doing it uh, secondly he needs to fertilize with a complete fertilizer at this time of the year and that's something that you're going to throw on the ground like a citrus fertilizer which entails all types of fruiting things so he just needs to get a citrus fertilizer and throw that around as far as watering goes look certainly at this time of the year once a week is amply enough to water things like that particularly these these tropical things where they don't grow much during the winter months and they are a little bit on in a standstill during the winter it's only now that they should be starting to to pick up and fly away but the citrus fertilizer will encourage the flowers now with passion fruit they require really good conditions as far as temperature to actually flower. So you may not get flowers until late spring and then you should get a crop of passion fruit in summer and then you'll probably find that you'll get another crop of flowers in autumn and that will set fruit. But they will actually sit there until next season. So hopefully, Anne, that helps you out with all of those sorts of problems that you've got. <laughs> now you've got to relay all that to him, you see. going to do something with my husband, is it? Um, <laughs> David, uh, can I use the citrus fertiliser that I use on my lemon tree, which is actually in a pot? Yes, uh, certainly you can. Uh, and, because and can I do this now? You can, yes. Now's the time for all basic feeding of your garden of all plants because it sometimes takes a couple of weeks for all these things to kick in. So that will certainly bring us into September where things should be starting to put on a great deal of growth then. Right, right. Look, David, thank you so much. If I tell him you said so... Well, I was just going to say, that's what you're going to have to do, say that you've been speaking to me and I said that's what's to do. And, and I should send the neighbours a, a, a complimentary pair of secateurs. Right. <laughs> that sounds a very good idea, yes. OK, David, look, thank you so much for that. Well done, Anne. OK, thank you. Bye-bye now. OK, bye-bye. Yes, thank you, Anne, and good luck with all of that. Uh, if you do need proof, um, eventually this um, uh, program will crop up onto a new RFM's podcast. <laughs> so if you go to our website and uh, follow the prompts to, to gardening, um, you may may have actually verbal proof that, that all that is, is accurate. Anne's husband may have to do that. Yes, I, I think so, yeah. Okay, let's uh, see how you can help uh, Robin from Madawi now, David. Hello, Robin. Hello, David. How are you? Good, thank you. David, I've got a problem with moss in my grass and my garden. Mm -hmm. How do I get rid of it? Okay, well, moss usually is caused through the soil sometimes becoming a little bit wet and sometimes becoming a little bit sour. Sometimes there's an easy method of actually getting rid of moss, and that's first of all just by sprinkling some garden lime over the area, and you'll probably find sometimes that will actually get rid of the moss because it'll turn mm -hmm. the pH of the ground to what it should be, and the moss will just naturally die away. We always get moss during the wintertime 
of course, because things are fairly moist and we very rarely get um, we, 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 we get areas that often don't dry out at all, and this causes moss as well. There is another product that's on the market. It's, from memory, it's called sulfate of iron, and it is designed basically for killing moss. But certainly I would suggest, Robin, to use the garden lime first right. and then see how that goes. If that doesn't work, you may just have to get yourself some sulfate of iron. I thank you for that. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Hello, Pamela. How are you, David? Good, thank you. Um, I have a need to put in another gardenia. I haven't had any luck here before with them. I don't know what's wrong. I've put them in the in the sun and in the shade, and I just don't seem to have any luck with them. And I do love them, so maybe you can give me some answers. Okay, well, with gardenias, I mean, they do prefer a morning sun position. And because you're in Lemon Tree Passage, your soil is very, very sandy, so I would strongly suggest that you add a really good compost to that area first before you consider on putting one in. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, just a position that just gets morning sun, and it should survive quite okay. Oh, well, that's, that's good. I have tried before. I don't know whether it's because I'm neglecting them, but mm. I just haven't had any luck. I think sometimes it can be often be the sandy soil because during the summertime it will dry extremely fast. So that's probably why it's a good idea to put a mulch into the ground first of all. And then even if you went to the trouble of putting some mulch around the, uh, around the top of it, and then each time that disappears, add some more mulch to just keep it really, really mulched. Um, yes. They would yeah, really benefit from that. The last summers have been very hot. Yes. Yeah. Um, what about the, the shade or the sun? Is, is there a difference there? Yeah. Uh, there certainly is. I mean, certainly why I said say the morning sun is because that's the lesser part of the heat day, mm. whereas if we put them in the afternoon sun, that's getting quite intense sun, and that's what will often burn the foliage and the flowers very, very easily. So morning sun is always the better way to go. Right, one more question. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son has put an avocado tree in, or it would have been early summer, I guess, and it's looking very sick at the moment. Mm-hmm. And his soil where he is is quite clay. Okay. Well, look, it's not only the clay that's going to be a problem for the avocados because he would need to add some clay breaker to that area and also some good sandy loam. Even if he went out and bought a bag of garden soil just to pop around it to try and get that down into the sand. Right. Uh, and as I said, definitely a clay breaker. You can actually buy liquid clay breaker these days which is just a matter of mixing it up in a watering can and watering it over the ground and that starts working on the clay straight away. Now because we've actually just gone through a winter season the avocados often suffer during our winter as well because they're more of a subtropical plant so it should be nearly starting to show signs of growth again for this season. It has lost a lot of its leaves so I'm just wondering if it's still going to survive. Well well, it probably will survive because it's amazing with these avocados that they often reshoot out of fairly old wood anyway. But I think probably the most important thing is that he does get this clay breaker into the ground and some sandy loam around it. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you very much for that. My pleasure, Pamela. Bye-bye now. Thank you, Pamela. Our next caller, David, it's Bill from Katara. Hello, Bill. Good afternoon, David. David, I planted a mandarin tree about three years ago and the top leaves are all... um, Shriveling up. Mm-hmm. I've had three mandarins off it this okay. year, but uh, it's about uh, twelve hundred high, a bit over a metre high. 
what would be causing that? So are the leaves actually twisting up or are they... Are yes. they okay, well, sometimes you'll find during our summer months, citrus trees often get a pest called citrus leaf miner, which does tend to twist a lot of the young foliage up only. It never goes into the adult foliage. And mm. the reason for that is that the young foliage is so soft so this insect can work its way through. Oh, okay. this, this time of the year, uh, fortunately for most citrus, it is a good time to actually give them a prune back. Um, because that way you're going to encourage more growth from lower down on the plant. And also when you do cut them back, certainly in your case, you can just go over and just trim it very, very lightly and take all of this, um, these old new fold, this old twisted foliage off. There is new leaf coming on, Good. a few buds on there. Okay, all right. Well, I, as I said, I would still just trim it over very lightly to take this uh, this old twisted foliage off, feed it with a good citrus fertiliser, and it should push into growth very, very quickly. Now, of course, to prevent that disease from getting on the citrus trees, again, once we get into the warmer months, and when I say the warmer months, I mean closer to around Christmas time, we should be starting to consider spraying our citrus trees with a product called pest oil, because yes, basically yes. that does prevent a lot of citrus leaf miner and other insects from getting onto your citrus tree. Uh-huh. Okay then. All right. Give it a go. Very good. Thanks, David. Thanks, Bill. Okay. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Good luck with that, Bill. Uh, we don't have any calls waiting at all at the moment, David. Uh, 21 minutes to one. Why don't we just have a little bit of a chat about fertilisers? Um, because the caller mentioned, I assume she was meaning the, the little, um, uh, what are they called? The little pellets. Prills. Prills, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> the, and they're a slow release thing, aren't they? They are. Yeah. They are. Well, this is, this is another form of a fertiliser, which, which we, as we said, is called prill. And the prills are actually designed to disperse fertiliser out of this little prill mm. at certain temperatures in the soil. Um, there are still a few of those on the market. I personally don't like them. I will right. be honest about that. Uh, whereas I tend to favour the more pelleted manure. And even the sea organic, which I have given away quite a bit, it's mm. not a prill. It's actually just a little bit like a white chip, which is also designed to break down. And it's organic as well. So it works the same as what the, um, the pellets do. They break down over a period right. of time. Once you water, that breaks down the, the, um, the chip or the, uh, the granule. And that way, that fertiliser then goes down into the soil around the root system where it's really needed. Mm. So, mm. yes, I mean, as I said, you, if you like prills, prilled fertiliser, yes, you, you'd still use them. But remembering sometimes they are chemical fertilisers yes. against a lot of the ones that I recommend, which are organic fertilisers. You were mentioning that, that they do... T- uh, they're activated by temperature of the mm-hmm. soil. Would it still be too cold at this time of the year in the soil for those to be yes, activated? It, yes, it is, um, because you can use a lot of those prilled fertilisers and they probably wouldn't release until the, the soil temperature, not our, not our normal temperature, but our soil temperature yeah, starts to warm up. tends to lag behind, yes, doesn't it? that's right. Yeah. So that's when they will start to disperse into the soil once our temperature of our soil uh, heats up. And look, the same feel for the pelleted fertilisers. You'll probably find and a lot of those may sit there, particularly if you use them during the winter months, they will sit there mm. and sometimes they'll go a bit mouldy, but they're still, they're still not useless. They eventually will break down and go into the soil. So Right. So if we were wanting to... Um Fertilise at this time of the year. Yes. Would we still be going for, say, a liquid fertiliser? Do you, think? Uh, you can still use the liquid fertiliser, but as I also said in in the early part of the program, I still recommend that we can still get in and feed everything yep. uh, at this time of the year with our pelleted manures or our prills or our chips. 
So there right. we go. <laughs> so we, we've got uh, got quite a, a choice. We there. do, we do, and it's, sometimes it's personal choice. But certainly, if you if you um, con- if you speak to me in the garden centre, yep. I automatically will go to the pelleted manure, which is the organic life, because that's the one that I use, and that, it's the one I've used for many years, both in the nursery and at home, and I find extremely good results. Well, if it's good enough for you, David. <laughs> I'm sure it's good enough for me. Um, okay, on the line uh, is Joe. From Charlestown. Hello, Joe. Oh, hello, David. How are you? Good, thank you. Great. Uh, can you please tell me? I want to prune my magnolia. I know right now is not a good time because it's in flower, but when the flowers finish, can I prune the under branches that are very close to the soil? Can yeah. I take them off then? You or? certainly can, because I mean, look, that's a great time to prune any part of that deciduous magnolia is after it flowers. Because if you prune it during the winter months, mm-hmm. you're pruning all the flower stems off, so you wouldn't get any flowers. So mm-hmm. it's always the thing. Remembering that little hint that I often give out is the things that flower in the early parts of spring. You should always leave until after they're flowered before you prune them. Never prune them like you do a lot of the other things. So okay. yeah, that's a great idea so to do as that. As soon as the flowers have fallen from the bottom part, yep. I can I can do that. You sure can. It's starting to get green leaf on it now yes, as well. Yes, so. No, well, that's fine. You can do that, Joe. All right. Now, the other thing is, David, I talked to you um, a few weeks ago about moving my lemon, about pruning my lemon mm-hmm. and moving it. So is now a good time to actually, like, cut it back and, and move it? It's... I want to take it out of the spot it's in. It's yes. only a dwarf lemon. Mm-hmm. And I just want to move it to a better position. Yep, great so, opportunity. Great right opportunity now. to do that now so you can start thinking about that. Of course, when you've moved it, don't forget to just uh, water it in fairly thoroughly and then also treat it with some sea salt, okay. which is the product that's going to stimulate the roots that you may have damaged when you're going to move it. All right, and should I throw a little bit of organic life around it? Once? Let, let it settle for a couple of weeks right. and then just give it some organic life just um, because you need to let it settle first and then let it readjust to the new position and then you can just throw some organic life around the top. Excellent. Thank you. And just one more thing, if I could. Mm -hmm. My Banksia rose, which is huge and very rambling, has got a little bit of yellow on it. Can I give that um, like rose food or is that... You can or else you can use some organic life. Oh, okay. I've got plenty of organic life. (laughs) Good to hear. All right. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Jo. Thanks for your help. I really appreciate it. No worries at all. Bye now. Bye. Thank you, Jo. If you're out and about in the garden um, early on Saturday morning, take your radio along. Pete Davis is there on 2NURFM for the latest fishing, boating, golf, bowls and racing information and uh, lots and lots of good company as well. Sometimes I need a bit of company if you're out in the garden early, nobody else around. (laughs) And that's for our sponsor, Peter Rose Motors. Um, Next on the line, David, we go to Curry Curry and Annette. Hello, Annette. Oh, good afternoon, David. Um, I just wanted to pick your brain, if you don't mind. People are always um, doing that. You bought me some nice... Um, re- uh, oh, gosh, I've gone blank. The um, terracotta pots to put yes. some plants in that outgrown the little little pot that I've got. And when he's gone onto the internet and had a look, they're saying that you should seal the pots. Mm-hmm. Now, some are saying you should seal them inside and outside, 
I wanted to ask your opinion. Should you seal on the inside of the terracotta pots with the terracotta um, um, liquid? That's a tongue twister, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because <laughs> one site saying one thing, another site yes. saying the other thing, and, and we just didn't want to do anything that right. would damage the plants okay. that I'm about to change into a big, the bigger pot. All right. Okay, well, let, just, let me make it clear first of all. You don't have to seal your terracotta pots. I personally don't seal any of my terracotta pots because I like the after effect on the pots, particularly right. when they go green. I like that sort of age look some looked on my terracotta pots. But if you wanted to seal it, you can. It's probably wise to do both the inside and the outside of the terracotta pot because otherwise you'll still find that it will tend to go green if you don't uh, seal it on the outside. So yeah. yes, you can seal it on both the inside and outside, but the most important um, part of the pot plant is the inside. Oh, the inside yes. is the most important. Mm. These bigger, bigger pots, they have the hole in the bottom, but there's no plug there. Now, should there... Should, there be, should I put a plug in that or should I leave that open? You should always leave that opened. And just uh, put a piece of the garden um, fibre garden in the bottom so the soil doesn't all go through? You'll probably find these days none of the potting mixtures will actually go through that hole. It is designed to actually mat together. So you shouldn't have... I've never put anything over... Unless it's an enormous hole in a terracotta pot, that's the only reason you should put it... probably about not even the size of a 10-cent piece. Yes. No, well, I wouldn't worry because you'll find that the potting mixture should not go through that hole in the bottom. And now, uh, should I wait until they stop flowering before I redo them? Uh, What what sort of plants are they? Orchids. Big pardon? Orchid. Yes, I would certainly wait until they're finished flowering and then right. you would always repot. You should never disturb them whilst they're in flower. A lot of them haven't flowered, I think, it's because they've actually outgrown the pot. All right. Well, if, you, if, you, if they haven't flowered, certainly you could go ahead and repot them now. And remembering also, too, rather than splitting your orchids, it's always a good idea to put your orchids just up into something slightly larger. Yes, because that's what actually, we are good. doing. Because otherwise, by splitting, you're going to wait another two or three years for and more they flowers. Like to be crowded too. They then, certainly so. do, yes. And should I just put them in the good orchid soil and then fertilise them after I have put them in the pot? That's a good idea because that way you can sprinkle the orchid fertiliser around the top of the pot. Thank you very much for your time. I most appreciate it. You're welcome. You've got some work ahead of you. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye, Annette. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, Annette. But, yeah, very uh, pleasant work. Oh, it is, yeah. yes. Anything you do Orchids have been beautiful this year. And Fred from Charlestown is here. Hello, Fred. Hey, David. Nice listening to you again. Thank you. I've got a problem on behalf of my friend. Yes. He's got lemons, big, beautiful-looking lemons. I've cut them in half. The uh, flavour's good. But they've got a mould on them. No, this is a mould on the skin, is it? On the skin, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, s- sometimes if it's a mould, it could be a couple of things. There's a thing that's called citrus scab, and yeah. that's something you cannot rub off. It's actually into the skin of the lemon. No, you can just rub this off. Okay. Well, that would be definitely just a fungal spore that's got on there. And sometimes when you get a fungal spore, it can turn into a mould which starts to rot the citrus away. So if it's only fairly minor, Fred, I think all he basically needs to do is just to spray his tree just with a fungicide spray, something like some mancozeb. Some mancozeb. 
Yes, and that should probably get that under control for you. I'd say it's only because of all the rain that we've had over the last yeah. couple of months or so, and big being winter as well, this causes a lot of this type of mould or fungal di- problems on trees. I see beautiful lemons. Yeah, well, that's what you want. Flavour's good. Yes. Plenty of juice. Right. It's just got this mould, you know, like a mould, and I've got a knife and I can scrape that off quite easy. Okay, well, as I said, I think just to spray them with some mancozeb. And that should get rid of that mould for you. Yeah, thanks again, David. My pleasure, Fred. I'll never toss you, you know. Pardon? I'll never toss you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, people do try. People do try. Thanks, Fred. Bye-bye now. (laughs) Thank you, Fred. Yes, uh, we we have faith in you, David. We all have faith in you. Where would we be if we thought that you could be tossed? Well, I suppose so, yes. Um, Okay. Uh, Next caller is from Head and Greeter, and we say hello to Leonie. Hello, Leonie. Hello. I'm just wondering what should I do with my Loganberry vine as it's coming into spring? It's um, got dead leaves and stuff like that on it. Okay. Pleasant, but... um, all right, well, with locusts, I mean, of course, they are a subtropical thing. So normally, of course, during the winter months, they will tend to look a little, look a little bit sad and sorry. But certainly, um, you'll probably... Oh, Loganberry, not, uh, not... What did I just say? You said locust. Yeah, locust, Loganberry. Okay, Loganberry is the vine. Sorry, I just... I, sometimes, you know how I visualise things <laughs> and I go onto another sort of plant entirely different. Just when I was talking you up there, David, Yes, before. I know, yeah. I know, Phil. Okay, <laughs> Loganberries. <laughs> Loganberries always crop on their new wood, so basically at this time of the year you can actually give them a good trim back and it will send up a whole lot of new wood. I mean, they do look a bit sad and sorry, so just give it a good haircut. It will shoot up beautifully. Okay, yeah, I wondered because it's just looking... Horrible. There's a bit of green leaves at at the end of one of the runners, but other than that it's looking pretty... Miserable. No, we'll just give, just give it a good haircut back and it will all tend to shoot up very, very nice with a lot of new wood for this coming season. So what would you say, leave about foot, two foot yeah, or what? That, that's all I would leave because most of the growth then comes from the very base of the plant, from the root system, rather than shooting out of those stems that you're going to leave. And should I put um, some flower and uh, fruit? Citrus. Yep, looks, look, citrus fertiliser would be excellent to put on it because remembering with anything that's fruiting in the way of fruit trees, citrus fertiliser is the way to go. Make sure, of course, you water that in once you've um, popped it around the plant because you don't want to leave it on and let it burn the plant. Okay. All right. That'll be good. Thank you. You're welcome, Leonie. Bye for now. Thank you very much, Leonie. And on the line now, it's Colin from Elibana. Hello, Colin. Hello, Dave. Yes. Um, Best fruit fine. Yes. I've got three of them. The, the possums, they like eating them. Yes, they certainly do. That's, well... So you want to try and get rid of those possums or try and get them away from the passion fruit? Well, I have to build a cage around it. <laughs> no, well, it certainly, look, there is a product that you can get, and it's just called Deter, and that's spelled D-E-T-E-R. And yeah. basically, I don't know whether you've tried that or not, you can mix that up according to directions and spray that all over your fruit. Then when, oh, the, yeah. when the possums come along and start to want to munch into these passion fruit, they get a really, really nasty taste from the Deter, and often they will eventually just leave that plant alone. So you could try that first before you go to the trouble of putting a cage around it. <laughs> yeah. Because that's a big job to put a cage around a passion fruit vine. Yeah, no, I've got panels on it. 
around it now, I mean, they cost about 30 bucks a panel. Yes, yes. So you better buy impressions with your guns. Well, that's that. very true, yes. Well, no, certainly if, um, if you wanted to try the deter and see how you go with that, see whether that helps you out. I will do that. All right. Now, I've got other pressure fluid fine yes. on the other side of the house, and it's about two metres high, and now it's starting to die off. Right. Well, right. okay. Well, now, sometimes this can be a, a bit of a problem because passion fruit are fairly warm lovers. They don't like the cold weather, so perhaps this may, one may be just getting a little bit too wet or it has got wet during the winter season. But certainly this time of the year, it wouldn't hurt just to um, pop a little bit of citrus fertiliser around it and hopefully right. get that growth pushed into it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thanks, oh, Colin. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye for now. Uh, bye. Thank you, Colin. Yeah, that's always a bit of a balancing act, isn't it? Um, uh, you grow stuff to eat <laughs> before you can get to it. The, the Possums, animals and I know. birds. Possums and, are becoming a very, very big problem, particularly right. for those people that live around bush areas. Um, I know the birds, particularly the white cockatoos, are extremely mm. bad. I mean, they just ruin crops, unfortunately, completely. So, I mean, there's something else you've got to be very, very wary of. Mm, yeah. I know white cockatoos aren't really native to this area, no. but they are native native birds so mm. we, we can't sort of do anything I nasty know, and that's the trouble to them. Phil, you've yes. just got to scare them off and they don't only seem to come in ones or twos they come in oh, 50 big, big <laughs> crowds of them because I, I know even coming to work this morning i saw a crowd of them somewhere i don't know where it was now but i thought oh well they're just on the lookout for something to munch yes, so yes. there's a well-known flock of corellas around the katara south all right. Um, Cardiff area that, um, that they just sort of descend. They ate somebody's veranda a few years ago. Yeah, uh, because they eat the ago. wood and yeah. all. It's uh, amazing. Yeah. So, um, we, yeah, we just have to be content with scaring them off and, and, and getting them to avoid our fruit and maybe go and eat the neighbours. That might be the way to go. <laughs> Luscious fruit next door yeah, is what we want to tell these yes. people. These, these don't animals. tell your neighbours that, but of course, Phil. No, no. Well, my neighbours don't grow fruit. Oh, okay. And, all right. And, well, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't like to to grow things that you eat because I, you know, like uh, Colin was saying, it's sometimes easy just to go and buy it in the shop, <laughs> but you don't get that benefit of uh, the satisfaction of knowing you've grown it for yourself. Particularly tomatoes. That's right. I'm thinking about that. We'll say hello to Pam from Cessnock. Hello, Pam. Hello, David. How are you? Good, today? thank you. Very good. I have two very quick questions. Number one, climbing roses. How far do I hack them back? Very hard. Very hard. Now, you should have already done that. I've been away. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, well, your excuse, That's a good then. excuse yeah. then, yes. So, yes, you can prune those back very, very hard, just like you do normal roses, and they will shoot out very, very quickly for you. Like how far from the bottom? Well, look, I, I would normally say to most people with any roses, take two-thirds of the growth off, so you're only left with a third. A third, right. Yes. Okay, right. And my poor little hibiscus bush has got little marks all over the back of the leaves and I saw this little tiny weeny black bug on the on it. Mm -hmm. So what do I do with that? Okay, well, with hibiscus, I mean, certainly they do get attacked by various different things. Uh, with, with the bugs, certainly just do any general insecticide should get rid of those bugs, but then leave those as far as pruning those back till around about late September, early October is the All time right. to do your hibiscus. All right. Okay, thank you, David. All right. I won't kill these poor roses if I hack them to death. You shouldn't kill them, no. <laughs> There'd be something desperately wrong if you did kill them. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye. Thank you, Pam. Um, to Kerry Bay next. Uh, be very nice around Kerry Bay at the moment. Let's say hello to Ernie. Hello, Ernie. Good morning, everybody. Uh, 
Well, you two gentlemen. <laughs> uh, David, I'd like to know the best method uh, for the eradication of winter grass from buffalo lawns. That's yes. without me having to get out of my knees and dig it All out. Right. Well, look, certainly there is a product on the market that's just simply called winter grass killer, and it is actually uh, recommended to be used on buffalo lawns. Strangely enough, the only lawn it's not recommended to be used on is kaikuyu, uh, because it tends to send the kaikuyu very yellow. But certainly it is recommended for buffalo lawns. It should be on most garden uh, centre shelves, and it's, as I said, it's simply called winter grass killer. And you have it stopped? We certainly do, yes. Uh, basically, it's a good idea to try always to get in very early in the season to get rid of your winter grass before it goes to seed because once it's gone to seed, that seed can actually lay dormant there until next year again. It so. hasn't quite gone to seed. Good, yet, so. excellent. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, David. My pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye Bye-bye now. Thank you indeed, Ernie. And uh, next on the line... It's Marlene from Glen Oak. Hello, Marlene. Hello, David. Hello. Um, I rang you a couple of months ago about my son's mulberry tree. Yes. Wade never had any mulberries, and he was starting to think that I, you know, was having him on. Mm-hmm. But, so he took your advice, and he put this drip thing down, and it's had plenty of water, and all of a sudden it's loaded. Oh, very good. But... Oh, dear <laughs> me. We, I didn't want to hear that, but... giving it too much water, because some of them, um, they... Sort of just go into like little fluffy bingos. Okay. You know? All right. Well, that, kind of a bad word. that means it's not getting enough water. It's not when they get when they're going very fluffy. Yes, they see they need a lot of water to actually uh, create the pulp, the the bulkness in the fruit. And if they don't get enough water, they will tend to look very shriveled, which is obviously what's happening. And they look very furry looking. The the actual fruit, yes, fluffy, but furry's a bit. (laughs) So you need to actually get more water pumped into the root system to make them nice and juicy. Oh, okay then. Okay, thank you very much. My pleasure. Okay, Bye. bye. I'm constantly staggered, David. You you knew what a puffy thingo was. Um, but, yeah, well, so when they're producing fruit, obviously, yes. they can you overwater them? You can't with mulberries. Right. I, I don't think you could ever overwater mulberries because this is, what, this is the problem that most people face with mulberries is that they don't give them enough water, and that makes that fruit very, very fluffy, and it just looks like it's got hair all over it, but in actual oh, fact it needs the water to create that uh, pulp. Um, I was trying to think of a word, but it wouldn't come out. That bulkness of the flower to make right. it really nice and plump. That was the word I was looking plump. for. Yes, okay. yes. Well, okay. Learn something every well, you, Of course, you learn something every week on this program. Okay. Um, next on the line, it's uh, Gwen from Beresfield. Hello, Gwen. Hello, David. How are you today? Good, thank you. That's good. Um, can you tell me whether there is an evergreen hibiscus that doesn't grow any more than two metres? Well, I mean, certainly a lot of the Hawaiians you could, would fit into that sort of height range. It would be a matter of going through it, particularly at to hibiscus time. I mean, one typical example which comes to mind straight away, strangely enough, is surf rider. Surf rider is one of the shorter growing out of the hibiscus. It only reaches, oh, probably around about a metre and a half in height. And another one that's also just come to mind is John Massey. Uh, that's another one that, um, that it only grows very short and compact. I mean, they're two from my very younger days in the nursery field, and that's why they still stick in my head, because we in the old nursery we used to have a hibiscus garden, which of course I had to take care of um so i got to know a lot of the hibiscus by name very quickly 
Oh, so right. John Massey and Surf Rider. And Topsy's another one. There we go. There's another one that's oh, just sprung, coming to, back, sprung to mind as well. So, <laughs> And here's another one, um, Betty Yellow. There's another one that uh, is one of the shorter growing ones. So there's four for you. Right. Didn't even when, think of that come to mind straight away, but they have. <laughs> when do you have those in stock? All right. They should start to appear late September, a lot of the hibiscus in the garden centres. Right. I'll have to visit you then. Yes, then. yes. Thank you very much, David. My pleasure. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Gwen. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. How yeah. that just happens like that. I mean, the old it just all floods back. fire and yeah. back it comes. Yeah. Uh, well, I amaze myself at times. Well, yeah. I, I'm, I'm pleased to be in the company of someone who does have a memory, David. That, that's good. Uh, 49216216 is our number. Lines are free at the moment. Don't forget, if you'd like a cheerful little earful, John McGann, 9 till uh, noon on uh, Sundays. Relax and remember those golden years. Another great thing to have on in the garden while you're, while you're gardening there. Um, Nord's Wharf is our next visit, David, and we say hello to Alan. Hello, Alan. Hello, David. Um, I've got two gardenia trees, but I've just been told that I have to keep the green, the, the leaves green on them until November because they need them for wedding flowers. <laughs> I was wondering what you were going to tell me then. Pardon? <laughs> I said I was wondering what you were going to tell me yeah, then. Well, I'm, yeah, I've got a, yeah, we've got a garden, but it's not, uh, it is not, um, you know, something that I take, um, seriously. Seriously. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm All right. Take me, I've got a good, nice rose garden, which uh, I have to take seriously, but I take even more seriously my shed. Oh, know? okay. All right. Well, look, I tell you what, the best thing to keep your gardenias nice and glossy and green is fertiliser. Now, you can do this in two forms. You can actually give it some pelleted manure, uh, throw that around them, and even some cow manure wouldn't go astray around your gardenias. And then if you wanted to really be very, very good, give them some liquid fertiliser every couple of weeks. And I assure you, Alan, that should keep your gardenias nice and green right up until the time you need them. Liquid fertiliser such as? Such as Aquasol or Thrive or Fish Emulsion, any one of those that you can dilute down and water around them every couple of weeks. And Fish Emulsion yes. every couple of weeks? Yes, yes. Okay then. All right. I've, I've just looked at them. Yes. And they've got a brown scaly... Oh, well, you've got, you've got to get rid of that, otherwise you certainly won't have nice lush green foliage for that time. So you've got to get rid of that with some anti-scale. Just some anti-scale. That's right. Some anti-scale. Yes, yes. So that should keep me out of problem. Well, it, um, it should it should bring them back to life, and with all that fertiliser you're going to give them, I assure you, you should have beautiful foliage for when you need them. Thanks very much, David. Okay, good luck. Yes, thank you. Okay, bye bye now. Thank you, Alan. Yeah, it's not often we get calls with people who are interested mainly in the in the foliage. That's right. Uh, but gardenia foliage, I, I seem to recall, does look beautiful. It, well, it does. A, with other, a very glossy yeah, sort of... That's uh, right, and I think that's probably why they must be wanting them for bouquets or table decorations or something like mm, that. So. so we've got to make sure Alan stays out of I trouble. I hope he there. does. I yeah. hope he does. Okay. <laughs> Next on the line, it's Barry from New Lambton. Hello, Barry. Good, oh, good afternoon, I it should say. It is now, yes. Uh, look, I have a minor problem. It's with a rock lily, mm. which has been brilliant for many years, gets anything up to 20, 30 spikes on it. Wow. And it is doing the same this year, except it happens to have an iris growing out of the middle of it. Oh, yes. Um, will it be... I mean, I won't dig it up now, 
can I lift it uh, when it stopped flowering and pull the iris out, or do I just leave the iris there? Uh, well, I mean, I think I'd be getting the iris out, but you'll probably find the iris has a bulb, and, of course, each each year that the bulb is left there, the bulb is going to get bigger and bigger, so it's going to be a little more difficult to actually try and remove. It's probably, to be quite honest with you, Barry, I don't think it's really going to cause any great problem, even if you do leave it in the orchid plant. Um, so, yeah, I, look, I, I think if I was you, I would just leave it there because it's only going to come up and flower and then die back down again. So, so long as you keep it moist, it will continue to do that year after year. Uh, OK, because mm. I don't want to destroy it because it's such a brute. Well, that's brute right. And I, and I think by, doing, by trying to disturb it, you may destroy the bulb, if not affect the orchid. Yes, OK. All right. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Bye, Bye for now. Yes, thank thank you, Barry. Rock lilies, they're, they're gorgeous, aren't they? They are, yes. And they smell delightful too. Oh, do they? I didn't... Well, um, some, something around where I've got my rock lily smell. Oh, well, it could yeah. be the pollen yeah. content in yeah, it, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like a honey sort of smell, <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, Philip from Lambton's on the line now. Hello, Philip. Good afternoon, guys, chaps. Hello. Last, last year, out at the Nursery, I picked up a flowering peach and a flowering plum. Mm-hmm. And the peach came alive fairly quickly. The flowering plum took quite a few months to start showing any signs of growth. And it was cut back and eventually it came good. And over the winter it's lost all its leaves as they normally do. And now, not even, not even into spring, and both of them are full of buds. Good. I'm expecting a bumper flower show this year. Well, you should because normally the flowers come before the actual foliage, so you should have a very good show, particularly if you're seeing signs of buds already. Yeah. Should I water it with some um, sea salt or um, some sort of fertiliser? Not necessarily sea salt because remembering that sea salt is a root stimulant and we particularly don't want to stimulate the roots um, when it's already an established plant. So you could go on to one of your other liquid fertilisers like your Aquasol Thrive Mm -hmm. or Fish Emulsion, any of those that you can just dilute down and water around the tree. That will certainly help the flowers on the tree uh, and then it will actually push it into growth as well. Lovely. That sounds great. All right. Thanks for your help. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you very much, Philip. Um, yeah, on our way back from Canberra, we um, we called in and, and had lunch at the Mount Annan Botanic Gardens. Oh, yes, yes. And um, it's, it's sort of quite a nice place, just off the highway. And uh, just on the way in, um, as you were driving up, up the road, a gorgeous, huge, must have been a flowering plum or flowering cherry. Do you have flowering cherries? Maybe cherries, cherries probably yeah. in that area, yes. Oh, just absolutely gorgeous yes. thing. No leaves, as you say. Yes. Just, just branches and a massive pink flower yes. was just oh i could remember the time the only time i think i ever been up in the blue mountains during spring which was quite a rarity to me uh <laughs> and and went visited some of the gardens that were opened up and the cherries up there feel are just magnificent yeah. i mean as you say they're they're just full of flowers you can't see any foliage because it's yep. just flowers and we certainly don't grow cherries like that down here unfortunately <laughs> no I, I suppose it's a climate thing, it is it, it yeah. is mm. peaches and plums definitely but certainly not cherries we don't um, seem to be able to get them to that sort of effect down in these uh, warmer areas right okay on the line now it's faye from caves beach hello faye hello david i just wanted to know if you could Tell me in a bit on purple trees. Yeah, what did you want to know? 
Well, I've been trying to buy one, yes. and I'm told I can't buy one at the moment. No, it's a bit out of season for them at the moment. You won't see pawpaws probably until round about October because yeah. that, it gives them a chance to actually grow them and get them up to a reasonable size ready for sale. So that's right. why you can't find them at the moment. Uh, but, okay, but if I first one, would the frost kill it? Uh, well, certainly in very, very bad frost areas, it can affect them, particularly very, very young trees. But you'll probably find in minor frost areas it will just burn the top and then it will shoot away again for you in spring. What area are you talking about? Caves Beach. Oh, look, you shouldn't have any problem whatsoever growing a pawpaw at Caves Beach. Yeah. That should that should be fine because you're on the coast and you shouldn't be getting frost, so you should be able to get a pawpaw to grow very easily there. Right. Can I just ask you one more, one more question? Certainly. Why my mango tree's not going? Okay. Well, the mango... Well, but it's not making much progress okay. in the heart well, well, once again, with mango trees, they are a tropical fruit tree, so they have stopped at the moment. They will be starting to shoot away very, very soon, so just be a little patient with that. At this time of the year, all you basically need to do, Faye, is just give it some uh, a citrus fertiliser because that entails all your fruiting trees. And within a few weeks, you should be starting to see signs of regrowth and even flowering. Right. All right. Great. Thank you very much My... for the apple and the pawpaw tree too. Okay, then. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much, Faye. Faye, very into the tropical fruits yes. there. Yes, but she's in, she's in an area which could grow them successfully. Yeah, so. that'd be that'd be quite warm. Yes. Uh, would would you ever get a frost somewhere that I close to the sea? So. You wouldn't think so, no, would you? No. no. Okay. Well, thank you indeed to everybody who rang up and was part of today's program. We've got lots of people getting stuck into the garden, as David said at the beginning of the show. Uh, we're declaring it spring, <laughs> and, and people uh, are getting stuck in, and that's good to see. David, you've got to choose somebody to be the recipient of these wonderful things. And while you're thinking about that, your your brain is just so huge. You can be thinking oh. about that with part of your brain <laughs> while you're running through with the other part of your brain what you're right. going to give away. Okay. So tell us all about it. So the plant that I'm giving away today is a lavender, and it's called Winter Purple, and it's in full bloom. It's got the really dark shade of purple flowers with, of course, the, um, the top notch on the top. Yep. I'm allowed to use that Yeah, term. go for it, David. Okay. It's all yours. That's so, awesome. yes, so it's got the top notch on the top of the um, plant. And, of course, it's in a nice purple pot as well. So, we're, as well, to go with that, it's the um, the plant food. That's the all-purpose soluble plant food, which, of course, we can start using on everything at this time of the year, as well as a bottle of the EcoGuard. Remembering that's the one that's the foliage spray that puts – it's like a tonic that really puts a lot of energy back into the plant, as well as a couple of sachets of Saturate and a couple of sachets of Harvest – and I thought I might give it to Joe of Charlestown today. Now, Joe rang us about pruning the magnolia after flowering. Yes. So, Joe, all you really need to do is just pop into Walls End Nurseries. That's on the corner of Crowders and Lake Road Walls End. One condition is try and get in before next Monday's program where I will have a brand new gift to give away to next week's winner. Terrific. And speaking of magnolias, yes. um, just driving through from Glendale to Cardiff yesterday, lovely magnolia there on the left-hand side of the of the road um, um, I, I can't really place exactly where but there, there's, it's a huge tree 
lovely carpet of pink underneath the tree and still lots and lots mm. of pink, pink flowers. And they are lovely this year because we haven't had the wind. That's, that's but I'm going to, going to have to say that very quietly, Phil. No, we haven't had the wind. I know. Right, okay. Because that's things we don't really want when our magnolias <laughs> are all out in full bloom. No, my dad used to curse oh. it every year. Yep. Okay, well, that's Gardening Talk back for today. Uh, David, we um, look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you, Phil. So I'll see you then and good gardening, everyone.